and welcome back to Can We Talk as we continue our series on trusts and estate planning. Joining us today are our host, Carol Felsing, and our guest, Anita Barber. Anita is president and managing partner of the law office of Anita L. Barber, PA. She has over 30 years of experience in the areas of estate and wealth preservation planning, trust administration, and wealth management. Now here is Carol Felsing. We'd like to welcome back our guest speaker, Anita Barber, who's an estate planning extraordinaire. In the previous episode, we talked about essential estate planning documents, and we went into some trust work and what's involved in trust. We'd like to talk about some other things that are included in estate planning, particular LLCs. How do you use LLCs in an estate plan? LLCs are just a great flexible entity. So an LLC is a separate entity. And where we like to use LLCs is to help with asset protection for our clients. As you know, a revocable trust itself, assets that are titled into a revocable trust, do not have protection against creditors. The way that we are able to do that is that we can put assets into an LLC that then is owned, the LLC is owned by husband's revocable trust and wife's revocable trust. So it affords us all of the benefits of our estate planning with distribution trustees through the estate plan up in the trust, but the asset protection is there through the LLC. And as I tell my clients, if you don't protect your assets, there might not be any to flow through the estate plan. Mm -hmm. So we love to do the LLCs. They can um, include real estate. If we've got people who enjoy having real estate and, and want the income from that, you can put one or two pieces of property in it. If it's a more expensive or commercial versus residential, you'd want to separate those. So we separate out assets to help with the liability. And then we can also even do LLCs for marketable securities that would then protect those that would not be otherwise protected from creditors. In an LLC, say I own a piece of property now, it's worth far more than what I originally paid for it. If I transfer that asset into the LLC, is it taxable? It is not. It is a contribution, so it is not taxable, and um, it is still is still part of your estate. And Anita, when you form these LLCs for the clients, where do you like to cite us them and why? Um, it depends upon the need. So if it is real estate that is owned in Florida, I do like to use Florida LLCs for those because the state will always control where the land is, is uh, located. When we're looking at some of the other type of assets, I do like to use Delaware. Um, Delaware's law is always very good. Um, they are very progressive and always making sure that if cases um, come up that have a negative impact with creditor uh, protection stuff, they're, they're usually very quick about making their state statutes uh, eliminate those holes that we will see in some of those situations. So I really like Delaware. Nor uh, Nevada is also another great one. It, so is South Dakota, Wyoming. So we have quite a few, but for ease of working with the state, Delaware is very easy to work with. And you talked about liability protection with an LLC. Now, there's different types of liability. There's outside and inside. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So inside liability is when you look at the LLC itself. It's a company. The LLC is a company. And any of the liability of the company stays within that company. So the, so what you're thinking about there, I have a company, I produce widgets, a widget somehow was not produced correctly and it was sold and it caused an injury. That would be something that would look to the assets of the company itself. So look to the other, you know, cash that's in the company, any kind of, you know, working inventory, anything that is there that can satisfy that claim. 
The outside liability is saying that a personal claim, so one of the owners of the LLC, their personal judgment moving up in and attaching to the assets inside the LLC. And as long as we have a multi-member LLC, which at least two members of that LLC, that is a block against personal creditors of an owner being able to move up into the LLC. Now that is very different than the traditional S corporation. So the traditional Inc, I-N-C corporation. In that situation, if a person personal owner has a judgment creditor, that creditor can attach to the stock of that owner and then can control the distributions out of that S-corp. So we do not like that to happen. So that's where the LLCs are so much better, Uh, just progression of entities over the years. And an LLC can be taxed as an S-corp, just don't have it as the traditional corporation. And that's what we see a lot of LLC entities for legal purposes, but have that LLC make an S election. So for tax purposes, they're taxed as an S corp. Yeah, they're very, very flexible. They can be an S corp, they could be a partnership, they could be disregarded. And of course, when any attorney is working with that, we always want to discuss those taxing provisions with the CPA so that everybody is on the same terms. I know you and I discuss that a lot. And it's, it's important for everybody to be understanding that entity and the needs. So we've talked about another thing that we can use in estate planning, but what happens now? Someone didn't do trust, they didn't do estate planning, and somehow they end up in probate court. What does that process look like? I know that there's a lot of discussion, and it certainly is the preference not to have probate. And and the reason that the preference is not to have probate is probate is a court-ordered system. So when a person is in probate, it does you, you have to follow their system. So you have to go to the court and ask the court to appoint a personal representative. Some people know that as an executor. It's the person that's going to act on behalf of the estate. Then 60 days later, you got to make sure you have the inventory. So what are all the assets? So you tell the court what are the assets. You have to then do creditors period. You publish in a newspaper and for three months, creditors can come forth. So each step is a step that the court is directing and also monitoring. So it does get frustrating sometimes. Um, The courts aren't always quite as fast as we would like, and certainly COVID has had a big impact on that. And so to avoid the probate process, we do like to use the revocable trust. We feel that's a foundational planning tool, and it can, used appropriately, not result in a, keep you out of probate. There's a difference in privacy going between a trust and an an estate that goes through the probate court. Can you talk a little bit about that? The assets go through probate, but the knowledge of the asset, the inventory is confidential, but it is still where you're having to go through that court. If instead you use the revocable trust, and as we had said in the prior session, that revocable trust has the assets titled to it, then that revocable trust has now protected your privacy because the assets are titled into that trust. The trust does not get recorded in the courthouse like the will does. So who are your beneficiaries are not known. So privacy there again. And if you should become incapacitated during your lifetime, then the trust is there to be there to make any kind of financial decisions and you avoid guardianship. So the trust can avoid probate, can avoid guardianship, provide privacy and make the flow for the family much cleaner. You mentioned guardianship. Tell us a little bit why that comes into play and how that happens. 
A guardianship is a court process that if a person is incapacitated, and the question really becomes, is the person incapacitated? Because a guardianship proceeding is to determine the capacity or incapacity of a person. It is a rather invasive procedure for a person because you are being interviewed by four different people that the court has appointed. Um, you're usually going to, you know, the ward is who the potential incapacitated person isn't going to understand. So it, it can even just make stress to the ward, and certainly the family could have a lot of uh, stress among itself. Instead of having the guardianship, which is the court-appointed process, if instead you have the proper estate plan, which has a revocable trust, has the health care documents that we talked about, and the power of attorney, you need all of those, those are able to be the controlling factor because you always want to go with the least restrictive means to be able to help a person. And the guardianship is more restrictive usually than the revocable trust and health and uh, power of attorney. And guardianship is a tough nut to swallow. It, it, it is It is very tough because the person, the ward, it could be where you know, the son or daughter is saying, hey, dad, I mean, you're, you are saying that, hey, dad, we don't think that you have capacity to make your own decisions. And so we're going to start doing them for you. And that's just a difficult family dynamic. In the previous session, we talked about the new community trust property that's going to come into the state of Florida. What else is new coming up for us that we need to be aware of? We do have the um, current law that as far as estate tax exemption. So the exemption per person now is incredibly awesome. It's around a little bit more than $12 million per person. And at the end of uh, 2025, that is to be reduced back to basically half of that. So it it'll come back to around $6 million as far as an exemption. And that is still $6 million per person, which is still a very nice exemption. But we do have that um, law that, that is already set in, the sunset is already set into that law. So if it is where there's planning that is needed to, as we had used earlier, uh, the irrevocable trust, if the um, grantor, mom and dad, or husband and wife want to put in some of those strategies that do use irrevocable trust and gift assets down to the kids. Now is a great time to do it because any of those that we do now will still be under those higher exemptions versus waiting to do it in 26 and in the mm -hmm. future. And another thing is that for our year now, the annual exemption, so the annual gift, how much can mom and dad give to daughter is is a raise. It was 15000 and now it's gone up to 16000 mm -hmm. So each of mom and dad can give $16,000 to anybody in the family and, and anybody else that they may choose to do that for. Well, Anita, I thank you for your additional words of advice and knowledge, and um, thank you for joining us. My pleasure. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Can We Talk. Join us next time as we interview attorney Alex Douglas to discuss litigation surrounding trust and trustees.